0: We're gonna talk about the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, but before we get there, this kind of brings us to the end of Epiphany. Uh, next week uh, we'll be in Lent. Uh, encourage you do come out on uh, Ash Wednesday and have the imposition of ashes. It's a good way to kind of remember um, kind of who we are and kind of how we fit into that whole system. We're gonna get on uh, with uh, what Tom Wright had to say there. His former Bishop of the Anglican Church in Durham, England. And he's now kind of full-time, kind of back in the academy. But what he has to say about how God is ending this thing, uh, we're, we'll come back that, to that at the end of the service. But first I wanted to say, I really liked those backstories to the hymns. You know, there's something about that. I mean, I'll always love those hymns. But, and to hear those stories and how they came to be, it just kind of puts it in context, makes it uh, personal, kind of embodies it. Uh, there was a guy... I'm going to date myself here. Um, his name was uh, Paul Arant, and he worked for ABC, and he was an investigative reporter. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've all heard of him, right, Paul Arant? No? All right. So, um, Paul was an investigative reporter, and he was really great at kind of finding things out about what were otherwise fairly familiar stories. Uh, it's just that these were details that we didn't know. Uh, and he kind of moved from the Midwest, or from part of the Midwest, into Chicago in like the 1940s. And he had a, a regular radio show, uh, which I listened to. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this was my favorite radio um, host, but uh, really dating myself there. But he would, he would tell stories, and um, at first you would think this was an unfamiliar story. And by the time he kind of filled in the details, when he got to the end, you're like, oh, well, I know that. I mean, I didn't know these details about it, but I know what what the story is now connected to. And now I have kind of the backstory." Paul Arnett's uh, middle name was Harvey. And he went by that. um, Paul Harvey. And that's the rest of the story. (laughs) Thanks. My best Paul Harvey impersonation. So... um, we're going to look today at Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 37, a dream for the future that seems unfathomable, a dream that is so full of hope, a dream that is so bright in the midst of such darkness that it seems so audacious that no one should even think such things. No one should say such things. I mean, who, who has the gall to say to people who have suffered so severely what Ezekiel says to the Israelites. Yet through the power of the Spirit, Ezekiel still says it. So I'd like to give you a, a little bit of this backstory. So in Ezekiel 37, and we'll look more closely at it in a minute, is the uh, vision of the valley of dry of bones kind of being resurrected and coming to life. But the backstory is this. So as you know, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would become a nation. Which didn't really quite happen. It was more like a big family at first because by the end of Genesis, as opposed to being a nation, they are slaves in Egypt. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Hebrews were slaves. And so they're kind of holding on to this hope and holding on to this promise that somehow God's going to come through and God's going to make things right. And finally, Moses is born, and God uses Moses to kind of lead them out of their slavery into freedom. The Exodus really cannot be overstated as how important that is to that people group. I mean, it's their Independence Day. It's the fulfillment of the promise. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy that God would make Abraham's uh, children into a nation. And so Exodus is what they constantly point back to as to God's great deliverance, right? If you believe that there is one God, or at the very least, if you believe that the God of Israel is the true God of gods, and all these other gods, you know, the gods of the Egyptians or the Canaanites or the Philistines or the Assyrians or the Babylonians, are either false or fake or demonic or what have you, If there's this one true God who created everything and that one true God chose Abraham and that one true God said, Abraham, your children are going to occupy this place, when that comes true, when that happens, you're kind of living in in the the hope fulfilled, right? And so it was bumpy, we know, the stories, right, through the judges. Eventually they established a kingdom with Saul and David and Solomon, but it didn't last long, right? Right? Trouble came fast. The kingdoms were divided after Solomon. And the northern kingdom kind of did their own thing a lot, which was not very godly, and the Assyrians came and destroyed them. Ten of the twelve tribes were utterly destroyed. There's no record of them since then. Like, when they were destroyed, I mean, they were scattered. I mean, perhaps some of them were the ancestors of the Samaritans, but don't tell the other Jews that. Some of them just get scattered here and there. Some of them get taken to Assyria, to Nineveh. Some of them get killed. Some of them kind of marry other Canaanites. They kind of still hang out in Samaria. But we have 10 of the 12 tribes now that are, can't, can't be traced. So we're left with this little remnant, right? This is in Isaiah. There's a destruction, but there's still this remnant. We're left with two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And we're holding on tight, you know, got this this one small group. But then they kind of compromise in ways that they probably shouldn't have with the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are like, enough's enough. We're taking this place. And the the country is overthrown. The temple is destroyed. The king, his eyes are plucked out. And he becomes a slave in Babylon, working like a donkey, treading out the uh, mill. And so now you have a handful of people who are the descendants of Abraham. Others maybe still living the land. Poor Jeremiah. Well, he was part of the group that was in the land. And you know, he had prophesied, hey, the Babylonians are coming. And they said, nah, God wouldn't let that happen. And he's like, you don't understand. God's sending the Babylonians to punish us. Like, oh, come on, Jeremiah. Right. Then it happens. And they're like, oh man, Jeremiah, you were right. I can't believe we didn't listen to you, man of God. Man, tell us what to do and we'll do it. And he's like, well, stay here, live in the land, even though under Babylonian rule, and God will protect you. It'll be all right. And I like, not a chance, prophet. (laughs) You don't get anything right. I mean, they just said they're going to do what he did. They kidnap him and they take him to Egypt. So that's the end of Jeremiah's story. He ends up back in the land of slavery, where they had originally been kind of delivered out of. I know it's sad, isn't <laughs> it? And so you get this small group kind of living in Babylon, and one of them is this priest named Ezekiel. So what what's a priest gonna do? Right? Priests, they work in the temple, the temple's destroyed, right? They they live in Jerusalem or nearby, one of the subs, you know, in the suburbs, they kind of commute in. But now they're way over there in Babylon, right? They've moved from like where modern day Israel is over to like where Iraq is. And there's no temple and there's no nation and there's no king. And so the question comes, well, is there a God? And if there is, where is God? What's God doing? What's God up to? Because we had a promise and now our punishment seems beyond any kind of reasonable activity. So many have died. So many are lost to history. They've just been scattered. And this ever so small group is now in Babylon. And Ezekiel has a dream. Ezekiel has this waking dream, this vision and he sees the throne of God. Now, this is not unusual for prophets, right? We've seen other prophets have have visions of the throne, but it was always stationary, right? It was a vision of the throne room in heaven, and God was seated on this throne, and, you know, he's going to rule, and things were going to be in charge, right? Things were going to work like they were supposed to. So Ezekiel has a vision, and he sees a throne, but what's interesting about this throne is it's not stationary. It's on the move. It's, it's portable. It's being carried by these four living creatures with all of these wings. And so kind of here it comes to Babylon. And he's having this vision of God, you know, Yahweh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the world, the, the great promiser. And here, here comes God on the throne and it's in Babylon. So apparently, though the temple was destroyed, God was not. Though the, the nation was destroyed, God's still the God of gods. And so Ezekiel, in this vision, there's this uh, message that's delivered to him. Right? He says this, uh, a scroll that's open in the hand of God comes down and he takes it and he eats it. Um, which I take to be kind of a metaphor for reading it. I don't think he actually ate it. So he he reads it, and the the word of the Lord is this, is that God's going to reestablish Israel, that there's going to be a temple again, that the river is going to flow again, that the city is going to be made right again. And that... Must have seemed unbelievable. Like, how can that happen? How is that possible? Yet, it is. I want to read this uh, passage from you now, for you now, from Ezekiel 37: "The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley." It was full of bones. He led me around them, and there were many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live i will lay sinews on you and you will and i will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i had been commanded and as i prophesied suddenly there was a noise a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and i looked and there were sinews on them and flesh came upon them and skin had covered them and there was no breath in them They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you you, on your own soil, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Look, I get it. Our lives are sometimes beyond description. I, we, we've, we've suffered a lot. I mean, I know you. I, I know what you've gone through. And I can't believe I have the audacity to say this. And without the Spirit, I don't think I could. Look, sometimes marriages fall apart. Tragedies happen. People lose their jobs. Uh, we can't have hope in the midst of that kind of darkness. It's overwhelming. It's, it, it almost breaks us. And yet, the Lord says... There is a future. You can have hope. I'm the one who creates life. I've created it before. I will create it again. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. But I can tell you that our God is the God who can do it. Our God is the one who can speak to dry bones, bones that can't live. Right Situations that you can't imagine there's any way that anything other can come out of this. And we don't know what it will look like, right? I mean, I think historically certain what happens here is Israel gets gets freed from their exile and they come back and they kind of form a nation and people that had been scattered come home, right? This, this, this doesn't seem to be as... I don't think anybody kind of who was killed in uh, the process of the exile got resurrected to live again then, right? It's, it's a metaphor for them coming together. And perhaps, too, it's a prophecy as to what will happen, and we'll talk some more about that, you know, which is what I think that Tom Wright was talking about in the video. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that in chapter... Four, you know, he says we're, we're jars of clay, right? We're just, we're just dust that's been molded together. But in chapter 5, he says, through Christ, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation so that God's no longer holding our sins against us. But what he's doing, he's done so much to forgive us that now he's calling us to be forgivers, to be reconcilers, to, to work for the good. As Tom said in the video, that Paul can write this longest section of 1 Corinthians on the resurrection, and he doesn't end it with, well, that's good, so everybody kick back, and in the end, you'll get resurrected. You know, there's future hope one day, but there's no hope now, but hold on. No, he says your work won't be in vain. Like, get to work, work for justice. Show up at a second Saturday or next month a first Saturday. You know, reach out to to, uh, a widow in your neighborhood. Help an orphan or someone in foster care. Do, Do the work that God would do if God was physically in our presence. Show acts of mercy and love and grace and forgiveness stand up against injustice, work for justice. Now, how can, as broken as our world is, as, as hard as our lives can be, how could that ever work? I mean, it's like trying to redirect a hurricane with a funeral fan. I get it. I, I'm sure it's as unbelievable for us as it was for the Jews who were living in the exile when Ezekiel said... Man, God God showed me a valley of dry bones and he told me to prophesy. So this is what we're going to do. In a minute, um, I'm going to have you come and and take communion. Uh, We're going to process and so we're going to ask the two outside um, sections to move first, but you'll move back and you'll come around and come down the center aisle. And then as you come, you'll take the bread and eat it and take the cup and drink it. You'll do it here at the table. And then there's going to be someone there who's going to give you a card. It's blank. It's an envelope and a card. It's just a note. And what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to write a note to someone in your life To reconnect to. Like bone to bone or sinew on bone or flesh on bone or skin on flesh. Maybe it's an act of reconciliation. Maybe you're reaching out to someone who uh, you've fallen apart from. Maybe it's an act of forgiveness. Maybe you're forgiving someone who perhaps even hasn't asked for it. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. That you know there's someone who's struggling And they could use, uh, I love you, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you. And we're going to just trust that God will take up all that we do, all that we do in the spirit, and that somehow that will be used for the future kingdom as it comes and it takes shape.